0: I hope you all are well, and I just wanted to take a quick second and say how cool it has been to meet so many of you out in the wild at races and events. It really warms my heart when people come up and they say they listen to the show and it's making a difference in their lives. That's what we're here for. So thank you. I really, really appreciate it. All right. So this week, I'm diving into a topic I honestly don't think about too much these days as a mom of a college student, babies. As women are living longer, pursuing higher education, and chasing athletic goals well into midlife, the decision if, when, or even how to have a baby has become increasingly complex because the old formula of graduate, get married, have kids just doesn't work the way it used to. And well, as you'll hear, this week's guest and my very longtime friend, Liz Carlson, just went ahead and created her own formula. I credit Liz for helping me find my own path as a young adult. We met at Rodale Press, the then publishers of Men's Health, Women's Health, Prevention, Runner's World, and Bicycling, just to name a few of their titles. And I would see this woman out riding hill repeats and squatting heavy-ass weights in the company gym and chasing her athletic dreams. And I was like, I'd like to see what that's all about myself, because I was in my mid to late 20s at the time, too, and it didn't occur to me that I could pursue being an athlete at that time of my life. Watching her make bold choices helped me see that I could make bold choices too and chase my own athletic pursuits. Liz's pursuits included chasing world championships through her 30s, and she made the first round cuts for the 2008 Olympic team at the age of 38. Then she trained with the U.S. team again and pursued a spot for the Olympic women's team sprint in 2012 in her early 40s. She had her first baby shortly thereafter at the age of 43 and most recently gave birth to her second daughter at the age of 52. When a mutual friend heard the news, she texted me and said, now that's feisty menopause. And I thought, no shit, right? So I called Liz and we sat down for a whole discussion about her journey and this later life pregnancy and motherhood and how she sees life going forward, as well as what the future looks like for younger generations because there are more than a few companies exploring how to delay or even outright avoid menopause. What does this all mean for women who have generally had to abide by a fairly set biological clock? Even if menopause isn't moved or avoided, more women are opting to freeze their eggs to have choices down the line. Just a note that Liz talks about all of these avenues that she explored in her quest to become pregnant, but she did not want to go into the full details about her final course of action as she felt that was her daughter's eventual story to tell. And I certainly respected that decision. Oh, and just one more little note. During this conversation, I started having some massive spring allergy issues and my voice comes out a little low and blunt in spots. So if I don't sound quite like myself, I was having a challenging time with the tree pollen. Okay. Before we get to it, just a reminder, our new Level Up Menopause membership kicks off tomorrow with a session with frequent guest, Dr. Carla DiGirolamo, that is all about hormone therapy, what it is, and how it impacts training and performance. Later in the month, we'll be having sessions with Cassie Neiman on incorporating heavy lifting into your training, and with Kristen Arnold on how to make sure you're eating enough to fuel your training and recovery. The membership features three sessions on training, physiology, and nutrition each month, plus office hours with yours truly, where I help you find the answers to your questions. If that all sounds good to you, head on over to feistymenopause.com and check it out. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes. Also, please remember to subscribe to my blog at feistymenopause.com. Each week I write about research regarding menopausal health for active women, and I think you'll like it. So check it out. Quick thanks, to Bonafide for their continued sponsorship of the show. I have been putting in some 100 plus mile gravel rides on the weekends and Reverie has been helping keep my lady parts comfortable on those eight to nine hour days in the saddle. So thank you. All right, quick word about some of those awesome sponsors and let's get on with the show. Okay, Liz. I am so glad that we finally made this happen across, across continents. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this while we were talking offline, and I have not done a, a show that is cultural in this nature yet. So I'm, I'm really interested in talking about that because we are, many of us in this audience, products of the same time period. That was a very, you know, it was a transient time period, yeah, Title IX, I was what, two or three, you know, in Title IX Pass, we're the same age. And there mm-hmm. was like nine to five, and Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda, and, you know, growing up with a changing landscape of what it meant to be a girl and a woman, you know? Oh, so true. And yeah. I, I'd, yeah, I'd love you to talk a bit about your experience of growing up into that transitory time, because it, as we'll talk about in the show, it definitely seems to have impacted the trajectory of your life, literally.
1: <laughs> well um thank you Celine and thank you for inviting me to be on it's such a an honor and such a pleasure and so fun to see you from across the you know time zones and hemispheres um i you know i grew up in a, a very small town and and i grew up in rural pennsylvania and a lot of times i i say to people you know it when you grow up in a rural uh community honestly things hit us later too like we you know even though people were probably talking about Dolly Parton, we're still back talking about, you know, uh, Elvis, you know what I mean? We're still talking and, and revering celebrities from two decades ago, or at least one decade earlier. What I remember about being in that community was that, you know, the the roles of women were very traditional still. Um, the women really were the the lifeblood of the community. You know, they, they were the, the nurses, you know, they were the store clerks and they were the um, our teachers and, you know, they took good care of us and they nurtured us and they fed us. Um, and, yeah, we had this media stream coming at us and and media really transitioned or took off and became very sophisticated. And the storytelling and the lines um, really evolved quickly from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. You know, women women went from leave it to beaver and june cleaver um if you are my three sons and you know the homemaker and the caregiver um to marry tyler moore you know and being a a working woman on the streets of new york city or working you know behind the um, production studio or in front of the camera you know it was it was really a, a time period where what what the women that raised us what they are, the values they were raised with were no longer the values that the popular culture were telling them were acceptable or what they were valued for, I think.
0: So. Yeah, no, that, that, that's true. And I actually remember my, my grandmother being quite hostile to that. And I think she just felt devalued. You know, looking really? back, yeah, I think she just felt that the culture was devaluing her existence almost, you know, as, a, as someone who Followed those traditional roles growing up, and 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 in retrospect, that makes sense to me. Like I
1: can understand like why she would feel that way. We had the experience of growing up in a, a tight knit Italian family, and so those roles that women carried were still valued. You know the right. the homemaker and the and the food was such a wonderful you know the gatherings and the food and and so much of what women brought to the table was still revered and talked about and valued and loved. And, um, that was an important part of it. Um, but I think that this, this, the sexualization, like the sexualization of women that came into play more into the eighties with, you know, with MTV and with Madonna and a lot of the messages that we saw then was just threatening. And so I think that there was a, a transition where all of a sudden women were encouraged and expected, um, to pursue degrees and to, to pursue opportunities. So there was just sort of this expanding period for women, certainly that we grew up in. It was an interesting time. I mean, my mother was
0: always incredibly supportive, you know, I mean, she, Mm -hmm. I think she was excited that there were all these possibilities, but she had no idea how to encourage me. Like she hadn't gone to college. She hadn't played sports, you know, even me playing sports in high school was just like, Oh, okay. That's, that's great. And, you know, riding my bike all over the place. And, um, you know, I remember her saying when I was going to college that it was okay. I could still get married during college, you know, and I was like, should I be getting married? (laughs) Like, I remember thinking like, (laughs) is that a thing? Am I supposed to, like, it was very confusing a little bit to me, like what the expectation, the trajectory actually was supposed to be.
1: You're right. There wasn't a history um, that our parents could lean on to advise us how to take and move forward into that next step. We were raised by a generation of women whose expectation was motherhood first. And or if you're going to university, that's a good place to meet a man. Yep. Or and, and the professions available to you would be nursing, teaching, and secretarial work.
0: Yeah. Well, you went on to become quite the athlete. Um, where does that come in? I went to Syracuse University
1: and I studied... Uh, advertising design and photography so I was an art student for uh, you know my first year and then I went into the Newhouse School of Communications where you know we had where Bob Costas went to school and we had all sorts of famous alumni and um, you know the the trajectory from there was going to be into into New York City I I, you know I studied photography and I studied design I had gotten into cycling at that time Um, one of my favorite modes of transportation and getting around and having freedom of my own was my my bike Um, and so somewhere in the course of my college career I realized that people are paid to put together bicycling magazine so it led me to Rodale Press I really loved that Rodale was a family-owned company and I loved everything I read about Bob Rodale who reminded me a lot of my grandfather you know who who loved riding his bike around his neighborhood Loved riding his grandkids around on his bike around his neighborhood. So the, it just kind of all gelled for me in terms of the right place. I felt like it, that was the right place for me. 100%.
0: Yeah. And then where does the, you're being very modest about the cycling thing, but like you, <laughs> you know, you, you pursued that many
1: years at a very high level. And like, talk a bit about that. It was funny. I actually rode my bike across the United States when I was in college. And that was, you know, I was more of a tourist, but I, I love taking my bike and exploring places and places I couldn't, I, I wasn't old enough to rent a car. So I would take my bike with me and I'd um, ride down the coast of Oregon or I went to the Florida Keys and I rode um, from Key Largo to Key West. And, you know, it's just such an independent a way to, to learn what's most important and to learn what's, it's very self-reliant mode of transportation. Um, and, uh, somewhere along the line, I got a, a hold of a mountain bike, um, and a, and a mutual friend of ours, Don Kierdan, Captain Dondo took me on my first mountain bike ride out behind our offices after work one day. And I swear to God, it was like, this is, this must be what it's like to feel like a boy. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't mean to say, you know, I love, right. I, no. I, yeah, I understand. I I was just like this is the kind of freedom and carefree um grit and grime and I got bloody I got bruised I wrecked <laughs> I had so much fun you know and I just I loved it and um actually your your husband and I um and I've come you know a, a colleague of ours were once when I started working with his department we would go after school and and ride all, around, um, ride all around the South mountain trails. And I, I, you know, and then we challenged each other to a race and then I was hooked, you know, we challenged each other to our first race at the Doe mountain um, mm-hmm. challenge, you know and I won, I won my first beginner race. And, you know, from then on, I just couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. I loved it. I loved setting goals. I loved trying to put the pieces together. You know, I looked, I looked and I said, okay there's this woman, Julie Furtado what does she do? How this woman, Ruthie Mathis, how did, how did they get to be so good at at their sport? And um, all of them came from a a road racing background. And so I joined the, I joined the training group and uh, started going out for long three hour rides on the weekends. Um, So when
0: do you get into the track bike racing that, you know, you, I, then my memory of you is pursuing fractions of seconds for years, you know, trying
1: to get <laughs> like, isn't that funny? Yeah. This was in T town after the 96 Olympic games, there was such momentum and it was really, it was really a great thing to be a part of, you know, I, and I, and just the first things that started happening is my first national championships. I think I, I was on the podium at fifth, you know, even though I had a, I'd had a big accident that year. And then I came back and then the next year I, I got a bronze medal and I was fifth in the two sprint events. And, and so it was the kind of thing where I, I guess, kept getting enough feedback from, you know, and it was kind of for me, I was in, I was trying to, to learn how to do the sport at, a, at, a, at the end of my 20s. And while my career was taking off and, and my responsibility at the office was also um, draw, you know, demanding, quite, quite demanding. And so I was really having to, to make decisions and figure it out. And I didn't do it well all the time. I really didn't. I, <laughs> I crashed. I t- <laughs> used the wrong equipment. Um, I got one, I t- got frustrated. I, you know, I took some summer off. I got heavy, you know, there was lots of, lots of ups and downs and backs and forths in the, in the course of doing it. I had a girlfriend who I was living with that had a, crash in a, you know, Nicole Reinhardt, she died Mm -hmm. in, in her, um, in her pursuit. You know, there was, there was lots of, I had an accident where I broke my eye socket and and had to have reconstructive surgery. So I would, I would, I was going full on with it and I was fearless. And then something would happen that um, would cause some pretty significant trauma. And then I'd have to figure out how to rebuild from that. And if it was worth, still going back into it and um, knowing what I knew the risks were.
0: At what point, you know, you're, you, you go into this and like you said, you come into it a little, a little on the later side and you're going through your thirties when career is taking off and, you know, you're doing the dating thing and, you know, like all this stuff is happening at the same time. But then at some point in this journey, you, you leave the job to pursue the cycling, right? Like you go all in like, and, Are you with your current husband at this time that you make this leap? Like when does that actual leap happen?
1: You know, I mean, to his credit that he's the reason for the leap. I mean, I wouldn't Mm. have any, like what what was going on for me is for years, I tried to figure out how to fit the demands of of training for racing at the level I wanted to get to with, with a career in publishing. You know, I was a photo editor for runner's world for, a number of years and then I took so I left that to shoot professionally for myself thinking that would enable me to control my schedule right um and that's when I learned that when you work for yourself you work 24 <laughs> 7 <laughs> yes yes you do <laughs> <laughs> and, you know and and money is always you know tight and um you know so my training failed it, it went well for a while and then and then it and then I didn't have health insurance i had an accident when i didn't have health insurance that was a huge um, setback so there was there were there was constantly like two steps forward three steps back another step forward another step back it was a lot of, of shifting like that and um somewhere along that line my husband and i met and he was sort of in in you know we had just talked about how i just had said how frustrating it had always been because it seemed like i i I had two things that were competing with each other for my time and my, my energy. Um, and I, and I couldn't give up one to pursue the other one. Um, and so he, he felt, he felt he's unconventional enough to say, I think it's worth it for us to, for you to focus on that, at least for a year of your time and see where it, where it takes you. Um, so that's why it, that's what happened when we got married in 2005. I How took old were that- you? Um, I would have been 36. So it does become longer than a year.
0: What is your big pursuit in that time? And in this little period, are you thinking about family at all? Like starting your own family?
1: You know, I think when you know when when Nathan and I met, we certainly had the conversations like, "Do you think you want to have children someday?" And and we both kind of agreed, like, "Yeah, I think someday that would be cool to be parents." And you know, he wasn't in any rush. He was, he was working as a museum prototyper at the time for a, an exhibit company. So how did it go once you were full-time? Um, I, I ended up winning the two world titles. Um, and I, you know, I came back and I partnered with um, Jenny Reed to win the team sprint at the national championships. And I got second in the five hundred. So I had like the best elite championships I had ha- ever had. I, I won my first elite title and then I also um won everything behind Jenny in all right. of the sprint right. events. And so, you know, it was pretty clear that I was the second-ranked sprinter in the in the US at that point and that USA Cycling according to their rules had to offer me a chance to race at the Los Angeles World Cup that was coming up in the January of 2007. So 2007 flowed into two, or 2006 flowed into 2007, which ended up being a, a, a Olympic um, pre Olympic year. And was that on your mind? The Olympics? No, it was okay. a huge surprise. Okay. You know, it was really a huge surprise. Like I said, my, my goals were to find out what I could do as an athlete. It was always from this place of, and I, and I had time goals at the time. Again, like, you know, I had said, you know, I wanted to break 12 seconds in the 200 and I wanted to, drop below 36 in the 500, or I think I knew, you know, at the time I knew my 500 time needed to be to set a world record at my age group. Um, so, you know, it was really more about process goals. I need to show up every day. I need to make sure I take my, my recovery drinks. I need to get to sleep by 8 PM. I need to do my, my weight training here. I need to hit these weights. So it was all more about process goals at the time. And Um, having a a national ranking at the end of that season was a complete surprise. It wasn't even really what I was driving towards. Um, I was just really looking for the experience against the best talent. Like that was really what I was um, attending those events for. And then, um, you know, I remember getting on the phone with Jenny and saying, gosh, I just got invited to the Los Angeles world cup. (laughs) What should I do? And she's like, You know, it's now or never, Liz. You got to get on, get on the plane. You know, get on the plane. um, You can come out and train with me. And the biggest thing for me was getting to train with Jenny was such a huge honor. And it's the first time I had ever trained with a a world-class female who who took took to the weight room every day with the, the level of intensity that you need to compete at that level. Like it was the first time I saw. In person, a woman, a professional female cyclist who trained with that level of um, intensity and drive and uh, volume really it it was it was incredible and it really impacted me significantly so at th- at this point, how does that go, and then where does this journey
0: sort of come to an end? like where do you hit the point where you're like, "I have taken this as far as I could?
1: you know, it was, it was a challenge because my age was not going in my favor. Like there was, it was, there wasn't like, there was a, a open, you know, there wasn't like a welcoming committee for the 36 year old master's sprinter, but I, um, I really felt like I was learning. I was still learning. I was learning how deep I could take the training. I was, you know, the, the, the amount of training I was doing, I went from, you know, maybe doing four, hours a day training load to like six um, in back-to-back days like that, heavy weights in the morning, you know, with the start workout in the afternoon followed by speed work the next day. You know what I mean? Like there was, I was still learning what the pieces were together to getting fast, but I got to finish my career on a high note because I advocated for finishing at a continental championship so that I could medal at the elite level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to train with a new coach that was taking over the U.S. Sprint program, who is also an older athlete. And he gave me opportunities because he was like, if you can do the times, do them. So um, I feel like I as as an athlete, I got to learn that I was capable of competing at the elite international level. Um, if I had started earlier, if I had better support, I probably could have made the Olympic games. I was on two right. Olympic teams, you know, I, you know, I was on two Olympic team, um, long teams. Um, and I don't have any regrets from it because I learned so much from the process. So the, you know, the lesson was, I remember sitting in the, at the Beijing Olympic stadium for uh, a test, the test event um, at the end of 2007 and thinking to myself like, Oh my God, here I am at an at at Olympic test event and on the Olympic log team. I, I had no idea I had this ability. Right. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that this is the, this is what I could achieve if I really dedicated myself to it. Um, so it was bittersweet, you know, it was right. a bittersweet. Um, I, I ended up going through the second, um, a second Olympic cycle because USA cycling had introduced a new coach to the system who was um, a former gold medalist, Jamie staff from the UK. And he had sort of like an all comers attitude. Like, listen, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're blue um, or, you know, striped, if you can do my times, I need bodies. Come, come train with me. I need bodies. So I ended up getting to finish my career. I, I I worked my butt off. I took ownership of my training. Um, I had trained with the U S team under Jamie um, through the, 2012 the london olympic cycle we were really trying to um we were really trying to earn a spot for the women's team sprint because it was a new a new event added to the olympic um program you know women's events have expanded in in our time period and so my event that i had you know spent five years focusing on now was an olympic event and so i became an asset one one year i was kind of this old woman who was taking up space. (laughs) And then the next Olympic cycle, because I could, I had a good start. I was an asset in helping lead the younger women and being a, a contender, you know, enough of a, we were, we weren't 10th, we were fifth or we were third or we were in contention for um, perhaps securing an Olympic spot. And so I got to go through the second olympic cycle with a lot more regard and i really really value that experience working with jamie he's a, a, a great man and um i ended up representing the u.s at the pan am games um, in, in guadalajara and then i got to compete my last event was the pan am championships um and i got off the plane and my husband said let's have a baby <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow okay and here we go
1: <laughs> and what was your response to that? Yeah. Um, I said. How I old said, were you? Uh, I was 42 at the yeah. time. In the course of us moving to the West Coast, my husband had found a new job. Um, I guess he had lots of time to think about <laughs> <laughs> and, and he also um, went from commuting an hour and 15 minutes a day to work to 10 minute bike ride to work. And so he th- for him, it finally occurred to him that he could be a dad. Like it was, you know, we're all ready for these things when we're ready for them. And, you know, up until that time, every, every cycling season after the, I'd say, what do you think? Should I set some new goals for next year? Are we going to think about family? And he'd be like, yeah, well, we're, yeah. there's always, another time you know he, he wasn't he was non-committal up until that right. point and so so then when he was ready to go he was like let's do this <laughs> <laughs> i was like shouldn't we talk about child care? <laughs> am i going to go back to work you know uh, and now uh, there's so many things that go into that discussion that apparently he had worked out on his drive across the states right <laughs> and he was like let's do this let's have a baby um so yeah, that was how that decision came about. But um, we were very fortunate. We, you know, I, I, at 42, I was I was very lucky. I got pregnant within two months, I want to say.
0: And how yeah. was that? I mean, was it it seemed to be a typical pregnancy? I mean, you, everything went well.
1: Everything went as good, I think, as, as you can expect, um, as I can expect, it was so funny because I, I made an appointment with an OB and I said, can I still get pregnant at this age? And I was like, I I hadn't even had that conversation yet. And the only trouble I had was, that, you know, I was coming off of pretty intense training. And so my hormones were used to, you know, what they were used to, they were used to six hours of training a day. And so I had some pretty big, um, I came off of a cliff a bit. They had a bit mm. of like hormone pregnancies and as well as uh the letdown of training you know no training regimen going on I was trying to exercise but it, we were moved we moved we had so many things going on for us at the time that it was just a lot going on so but the pregnancy went well like I had you know it was beautiful I loved it you know I, I really liked being pregnant and I really um you know, Lathan and I enjoyed taking in the role of. You know, we went and did Lama's classes, or mm-hmm. we didn't do hypnobirthing; we did breathing exercises. <laughs> you know, it was for us too. It was a chance to we. So we had this this cycling career took off, and we were living separated from each other for ha- half the year a lot of times, and so, um, you know, we were getting to know each other again back in the same house while getting excited about our baby and and his job is an exciting challenge. So there's a lot going on that was, that was good.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. And then before you know it, I see you're on Facebook telling me you've had another baby
1: (laughs) years (laughs) later. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, okay, uh, she's 50.
0: (laughs) We're the same age. (laughs) She's got a baby on Facebook. Like what? I mean, what, at what point did you always think you wanted a second? I mean, you had started late. Did you think you could have a second? And at what point are you like, okay, I, I want to have this second
1: baby. And how old are you at that point? Hmm. Yeah. Um. You know, when you have your first, of course, the question is inevitable. Are we going to have a second? There's, it's, it's sort of a natural process that comes out of, and, you know, we, we had so much fun with Livy when she was, um, when she was born. And um, I remember putting away her newborn clothes going, what do I do? Should I keep, should I keep these? Should I set them aside? Do I pack them away? What do I do with these? And, you know, while, while it was such an exciting time, it was also really overwhelming for us. We had a, we had moved to the other side of the country and we didn't have a community, you know, we didn't really know people in San Jose. We had a few, a few fr- friends um a former editor that i knew was there um and lathe was busy with his work and then he was busy with the fellowship that he would had been um selected for and so i was kind of like a solo mom i was like you know luckily I ha- i've la- we landed in a nice neighborhood um but i didn't have any close girlfriends to to bounce off and i had some you know, I'd say some postpartum depression or, um, anxiety that came out of that. So, um, we kind of, kind of said, you know, there's no way. And actually we were to to be blunt. My husband was basically like, we're so lucky to have a healthy baby. We were both feeling really, really grateful that the baby we did have. Um, I had, I had my first, um, all natural, no medication. Um, it was, we, I was induced at 40 weeks and had two days of labor and it was extrude It was excruciating. Like it was the most painful thing I've ever been, been through. So coming out of it, I think we we were both really pleased that we were able to have a baby at our age. Um, a few years later, my husband was recruited to, to um, we moved to Seattle to, uh, create a museum for Paul Allen of Microsoft and um, we tried we we thought it would be a great move for us because the market the housing market in the Bay Area was just insane and then we bought in an island outside of Seattle and so in in a period of of nine months we had occupied three different addresses <laughs> you know and so I was having, I was having sort of panic attacks about this whole experience. Like I had gone from having a baby and she was a toddler to moving to a city that I knew knew nothing about at the time. Um, so the idea of having a baby again, you know, at that time, it still was, it just wasn't top of mind. So So when does it come into
0: like, (laughs) sorry, sorry.
1: (laughs) Um, you know, it just kept, it wasn't, it was sort of nagging for me. Like I go back to the, to my original line, which is I come from a large Italian family and I have a very gregarious older child. She loves people. You know, she's not, not unlike her mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, we were really lucky in that we landed in a really beautiful community um, called Vashon Island. And, you know, it's a place where, um, a lot of people settle to raise their children who are either working in the city or working in Tacoma, south of there. And so it was a very family oriented Island. And so we got, we got welcomed and, and enveloped into plenty of other families. And so my, my singleton p- partnered up with lots of um, great mm-hmm. people. And then, so the part of me there is going like, Oh, I think I could do this. Like watching people with two finally, made me kind of look at you know i wasn't around you guys when you were raising your children because i was racing and so i i was not around a lot of my friends raising their kids to the extent of like i knew i, I knew what a large family looks like but i hadn't had my own yet at that point and um having having had a chance to to be around so many people that were you know raising their children happily i, I was like why well, I, I think i could really do this um guess I'm a little slow to the uptake. <laughs> <It's> just- <laughs> you know, I mean, the truth is I just kept looking at my child at, at holidays going like this doesn't something's missing. Like for yeah. me, something kept missing. Um, and I'd say to my husband, you know, I always thought I would go back to work once my child was school age. Like I, I knew that I wanted to be home for um, for my child for their first four to five years. And then once they're launched into first grade, then I felt like I could reboot my career and, and work part-time or do what I needed to do. Um, I remember watching women trying to manage their careers, you know, growing up and their families and how exhausting that was and how difficult that was for, for my mom you know, for all, for so many. And so I thought the best way to do this in my field is to work part-time or work freelance and, and raise my child. Um, but it kept nagging me that like, I don't feel like I'm done. I kept, I kept mm-hmm. saying like, but what, I, I guess I should get my resume back in together. I guess I should get my my LinkedIn profile still not updated. Um, but what I really want to do is have another child. You know, what I really want to do is have another child. Um, so that's, that's kind of where that started. And, um, I, I was really lucky that I've had a girlfriend who's a, a close girlfriend that I've you know, known for 30 years now and was able to reach out to her. She had two pregnancies via IVF and um, I was able to ask her everything. Just ask her, you know, I spent lots of time Googling because I was open to everything, whether it was, you know, adoption or um, foster to adoption. Um, I had a girlfriend who explored the, the, surrogacy path for quite a long time. And that just seemed so complicated to me. Like there was lots of give and take and then things went, looked like they were progressing and then, and then the agreement fell through. And so there was lots of complications with that. And I knew that that wouldn't, that wasn't going to work for me because I really wanted to be pregnant. You know, so how old
0: are you at this time? And did you actually pursue like looking at if that was a viability?
1: I would have been 46, 47, 48. Um, you know, but all through this time, my husband was consumed with his job. We were, you know, I would say to him, like, what I'd really like to do is have another child. And he'd say, you're too old. <laughs> it was like, yeah. that was the extent of the conversation. Like we're lucky to have live know, our yeah. first and, and that ship has sailed. Um, so, you know, but, but then around me, women that I knew who had chosen their career, my friend, um, she hasn't let me say her name here. I haven't talked that's, her about that's saying totally her name. Fine. So. Yeah. Um, very, she had two IVF pregnancies. She had one of them after her 50th birthday successfully. Um, there was a large age gap between her children. So that was one of my big questions. Like, is it, you know, is it fair to do that to your oldest child? That all, these, all these questions I had. Um, and I luckily had a, a close friend that I could actually talk to her about that that experience and and see, you know how that went for her and is is it possible and what did you have to do and what were the hormone treatments like and that kind of stuff and so it, I really felt like I had a a confidant and a, a resource that I could speak to and ask her like what is what's the first step you know what what is the first step um, so it kind of went from there and I think I was I was probably fifty, you okay. know I hit the I hit the fifty um, age. And I was like, God, this is still nagging me in the back of my mind. Um, a dear friend of mine who hosted my 50th birthday party and I had a long walk and I said, I'm still, she had, she was a mother of four and we had been, and, you know, folded into her brood on a number of camping trips. And I said, this is still nagging at me. And I, was, I don't know what I should do about that. Um, and you know, she was like, oh, maybe I could give you one of my eggs. You know, it was, it was like <laughs> that kind of a conversation. Like, man, if I could, I would give you one of my eggs. And I said, you know, I, I don't know, I don't think that's necessary, but it came, it started me thinking like, this is, you know, these are, there's many ways to pursue this at my age. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was the kind of thing where I really felt like it's something knowing that, knowing that my, my girlfriend had had her second after at 50 or, you know, that I, that it was possible that it was worth trying before I gave up. You know, I I think it was probably a matter of managing regrets. Right. I mean, um, I I pursued my career after college and I don't regret doing that, you know, by any means I, I, it gave me the life and the friendships I have and I pursued sport out of that. And it taught me so much. And and I traveled the world and I, I got to do things I would never have expected I could do in this life. And, um, you know, and then, and then I got to be a mom at 42, you know, and that was, or 43, I had my child at 43 and, you know, I think, I don't look back and think, wish I had her earlier because I, I live such a full life and I really got to do things that I didn't know I could do at 18, you know, that would be available to me at 18. You know what I mean? Like I, I took my publishing career and I, I worked as a photographer and I covered marathons all over the country, you know, and I edited Olympic games for publication and photo edited books. And you know what I mean? Like I've written stories, and then the things I want to do. So long and short of that is just, I. I really feel like, I don't regret when I started my family um, and, and I wouldn't have the baby I have now if I had done it earlier. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so, so she's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And she brings so much joy to our lives every day. Um, but, but we, you know, what we did was we made made the first step. We made a, made a call to a fertility clinic in Seattle, um, Pacific Northwest Fertility and just to have a a conference with the, you know, a, a meeting with the uh, re- reproduction re- uh, endocrinologist, Dr. Doctor Julie Lamb. And it was incredible. Like it was just sort of, I knew my age would be a factor, um, but I knew that I had people around me that had had ch- children at my age. And so that it was possible, you know, and just knowing that it's, there's a, that's happened before, meant that it's possible that it can happen. And, um, you know, she gave us all the odds of all the different ways we could go about doing it, but, it, you know, she gave us a, the run through, um, you know, and, and, and the thing that happened for us was we were, we were lucky that we had the finances at the time to do it. There was a, a ton of barriers to doing this earlier that just weren't in place for us. Um, so this is the timing that, that it is, you know,
0: And then you got pregnant
1: and and then I got pregnant. So I, we, we approached, we approached Pacific Northwest, Northwest fertility in, you know, this is all kind of happening when COVID set into motion. And so, you know, there's, there's a whole, um, you know, there's a whole backstory to this. And my husband had taken a job in Dubai. Um, His, you know, the founder of Microsoft passed away and late lost his job shortly after that and so there was um a big transition for us that he had to take um he 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 took a position that you know was a one another once in a lifetime opportunity that took him to the other side of the country and or the other side of the world I'm sorry um and it's really hard to get pregnant when your husband's on the other side of the world. yeah <laughs> you know you know <laughs> or on vacations or on the, you know, on the visits home and the visits to him and and that kind of thing. Um, And so it was really a matter of like, we needed to control the variables if, you know, if we're going to use my eggs or if we're going to use a donor egg, or if we're going to use my cousin or my friend's egg or, you know, whatever the possible path that we were going to choose, we needed to find a a fertility clinic that would facilitate um, a pregnancy or help me get pregnant. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't happening on its own. I felt like I could get pregnant. I was still having regular periods. If I may be so honest, I was, you know, I was still a very healthy 50 year old woman. Um, I hadn't started what I thought was perimenopause. I didn't, I didn't feel like there was anything, um, going on. Although, you know, given my cycling history, mental health history through cycling, I would say that I, I had no idea. I'm on a, always on a roller coaster. Right. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So, you know, more than anything, I just needed to, to align with people that I trusted to manage the process. It felt very much like engaging with a coach, to be honest with you. Like it felt like I had a training plan. I had a nurse who was the, um, well, first, first we had to convince her to take us on as clients, you know, um, because fertility clinics operate in a, in a success ratio basis. Like they want to take clients on that are going to come through with a viable pregnancy. Um, And being a 50 year old woman wasn't exactly, um, the numbers don't lean in that direction at my age, but my history of being an athlete and being an active female and having had a successful non IVF pregnancy prior, um, with a uh, non-medicated delivery, no complications, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so we were, we were good candidates for the process. and, And I, and I, you know, we just took it one step at a time. Um, you know, I had to go th- through quite a lot of, uh, tests in order for them to take me on fully. Like I had to have a meeting with the OBGYN who might've been my, my delivery. And it was, it was complicated, like I said, cause it was, COVID was going on. And so all of these hours and, and access to these professionals were limited. I remember during my first appointment for, um, what is it called? Like a, it was, a, a my first scan, my first exam, um, I got dressed up in PPE, <laughs> and I had like, you know, my my goggles on, and I, was, I actually wore a cycling uh, windbreaker. My, you know, I had gloves on and and full face mask, and I'm going into the. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it felt it felt very strange. They put me on birth control early on so that they control my periods and create a, a receptive, you know, uterus for for a embryo. And, and there was, I had to have a, a polyp removed through the whole process. I had to do a full um, physical, a full fitness exam to make sure that my heart could m- manage going through delivery. You know um, the protocol was pretty strict in terms of how they were going to take me through the process to, to prepare me for implantation. Like it mm-hmm. was, um, you know, I, I, I got a full, uh, FET cycle. Um, um I, like I said, I got a calendar with the, the drugs, the hormones that, uh, sup, uh, that I needed to take through the whole process. And it all started in my May, June, July. Um, we were going through the process until, um, until my husband had to have a sperm sperm tested i had my eggs tested you know we went through all the tests that we needed to do in order for them to get to a place where they could they could marry everything together into implantation so um you know i in at the end of september was when we had our you know one of the things i'm sorry one of the things that made it feasible for us you know at my age one of the biggest things this is probably what would be helpful for you to know is um at my age one of the things that made it feasible or even um took a lot of the worry out of out of pursuing a pregnancy at this age was um, a technology that's called pre-implantation genetic testing it's pgta testing and so what they do is they take take the um oh it's a testing to ensure the number of chromosomes are 46 and so it helps right. Alleviate a lot of the worry about whether there's any kind of miscalculation, or um, um, they take several cells from the blastocyst, and after four, five to six days, and they test them and make sure that there's equals twenty three pairs, you know, forty six total. A- any any uh, anything that looks f- odd isn't going to pass. And so at at Pacific Northwest Fertility their guarantee was that they would implant a high quality blastocyst. And that was what we were looking for is to, is to know that we had um, a tested, genetically tested embryo to implant at the end of it. And because the, um, the chances for a viable pregnancy then increase exponentially, having gone through this, having taken the step out of, um, take a step and a pause to make sure that what they're implanting has been attested embryo. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, it does make sense. So So yeah, that was that was you know, we got to the end of our of our cycle and they did the embryo transfer and um, I found out the night before we moved to Dubai that I was pregnant. And What was it um, like being pregnant
0: at this age? I can't even um... imagine. <laughs>
1: You know, I feel like my, you know, the, what's funny about it is I just feel like myself. Like, I don't right. know if you have right. an idea of where your no, age I know is what you in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm officially 28 constantly. Maybe I might be up to 38 by now, but <laughs> I don't really um, age myself that way. Um, occasionally I catch a picture and I go like, oh, that's, I guess I've changed. I guess, some gray hairs. So what, what was initially harder um, was... I had to come. So I went through the whole rigmarole of meeting a a maternal fetal medicine specialist and a OBGYN and going through the fertility clinic to, to, to get pregnant. And then I had to land in Dubai and and find all those people again. Um, And I had some, some um, thyroid issues that needed to be monitored. So I had to get to partner with an endocrinologist. And so um, I was lucky that I got into care. I got, you know i I landed, I recovered from the flight, and within a week I was seeing a actually yeah, within a week, I was seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist who was doing a scan um, for me to confirm the heartbeat. and I had blood work done to see where my tsH levels were, and they were high, so I got into to see an endocrinologist partner with him quickly. you know I got into really good care um, and it, and after the initial shock was over, like oh you're how old are you? Um, we, I, they got a full, you know, a full history and I told them we had a PGATA tested embryo. And even though I was considered high risk, um, throughout the whole pregnancy, you know, every time I showed up, my blood pressure was normal. And every time I showed up, my sugar levels were normal. And every time I showed up, you know, I had been working out regularly and my heart rate was, was, low and it was everything was everything went well it went beautiful and i loved being pregnant you Mm -hmm. know I, i absolutely i'm can always blown away by what our bodies can do as women you know we bring we bring life we bring life into into this earth and it's and it's you know i feel i feel have felt so lucky you know that my my husband went for it (laughs) you know because I had to pitch him on the idea like I really I I really said to him because he was the first one saying like you're too old you're too old you're too old and I'm saying yeah but we have a young child still and and you know I want her to have a sibling you know I I, I would really like that our daughter has a sibling and when I when I talked to him about the you know the details and the protocols and what it takes to get there and um, what their chances are if we pursue, you know, this testing, and how we'll know that that the baby or the embryo would be, you know, has a high rate of success rate. Um, that he felt like it was worth the chance, and and it was, you know, it was relatively. We we were surprised by how affordable it was, you know, um, be, you know, because we were at a time when because of COVID, no one was able to take vacations, and so all any, and, and Leith had been paid out vacation time when he lost his job. And so we had this, you know, this money that could have gone into something else that we just were able to use. And that was a huge bonus. I mean, we had a huge, that was a huge gift to be able to use, use it to finish our, complete our family. You know, um, I think, I think the pregnancy was you know, it was really fun. I felt special. You know what I mean? Like every time I went in, um, but I think all, all expecting mothers feel special. You know, you have this secret and, and then and this life is growing inside of you. And it's a, it's a really beautiful time of your life. Um, and if, and if, for me, it was a second chance, you know what I mean? Like I, I would say we didn't plan well, if we, if we were guilty of anything, my husband and I are not great planners <laughs> when it comes down to this kind of thing. And, um, and how blessed we are to have, or how lucky we are to have had the technology to um, pursue something that could complete our family and, and round, round it out. I mean, that was certainly how, how we felt. Um, I aligned I with a really great OBGYN who met me you know, with, Hey, you're pregnant, let's do this. And she, she didn't even talk about my age and she didn't, you know, the maternal fetal medicine doctor was a little bit more hesitant because she's the one who's, who's focuses on the fetus and focuses on the birth defects and focuses on the problems that can go wrong with the fetus. And so when she met me and she saw my age, I think there was a lot more of a hesitation and a worry and a concern, you know? And so every time we hit those markers, the 20, the 20 week scan, um there was this big sigh of relief you know and i i just kept trucking through it like hey i'm here let's do this yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> um because I, I just really i knew we, i knew we did took all the right steps moving into it or going into it um and i had a really good team I, I i had a good team back in seattle that got me um got me pregnant you know i had a i had a really good team that aided the process of us getting pregnant and then I was able to land in Dubai and align with another good team um they they taught me what I needed once I landed you know and I I guess you could say I kind of I guess I I treated the pregnancy a little bit like a uh athletic goal you know what I mean I was making sure I ate my protein and I was making sure that I had my recovery shakes and I, I reached a point in the pregnancy where I couldn't eat any longer um because I I had a hernia earlier mm. and it and I I was I wasn't able to keep anything down and so I was taking protein shakes every day and doing my walks. So was the delivery the same as last time? Your first one? You know, I think that's where my age really started to becoming an issue. Um, my OB was you know, she was with me every step of the way and she was an incredible consult. And she was, you know, she gave me all the feedback I needed on how our baby was developing, but the closer we got to delivery day or due date, the more the, um, the stats on miscarriage, not miscarriage, but, um, stillbirth at my age. Um, and, and you know, there was, there's like all kinds of, there's all kinds of fear around, Around maternal fetal or um, advanced maternal age and and stillbirth or you know, maternal death and, and there's lots that can go wrong, high blood pressure, um, yeah. you know. So preeclampsia. There's just a ton of different um, problems that women can run into at the end of their at, at the end of their tr- their um, their trimester. And so, my doctor really started to become concerned and but what was wonderful she was very open with me and she would tell me like she was consulting with other doctors and they'd say well get that baby out you know (laughs) I I wouldn't let that I wouldn't let that woman go past 37 weeks or 36 weeks or something like that and I'm you know I'm looking at the studies going like oh there's you know delays or motor delays or I don't want my baby born prematurely or taken out sooner than she needs to be and so I'm trying to I was trying of course. One of the reasons that I went to this hospital was that they had a water birthing suite, and I really, after after being induced and with pitocin last time, I, I really wanted to use a water have a water birth because water was so helpful in me advancing labor through my first um, with my first baby, and so um, you know there was just such a huge fear, um, in my blood pressure rising and then, um, her having to do an emergency C-section or for any, anything, anything that could go wrong would go wrong. I mean, there was just a lot of fear around it and And
0: they were worried about preeclampsia.
1: She was worried about preeclampsia. She was worried about, um, yeah, that, that if my blood pressure went high and so she was really, really monitoring that, um, at the, at the end of my pregnancy. And I went in for, you know, I think it was my 36 week um, appointment and I had a, a small elevated level because it had gotten really hot here in Dubai. And she's like, no, nope, we're going to have to take the baby out, you know, and and I, I was going like, I just had a couple of days where I was getting ready for a friend to, I had friends coming in to help me with the delivery or a, a friend coming in to help me with liviate when I had my baby. And so um, I, I had a couple of days where I didn't get enough sleep and I had a couple of days where it was really hot and I didn't drink enough water and my blood pressure raised just a few points. And so she's, you know, she was convinced that I, she needed to do a C-section then and there. Um, and so she told me, go home, get your stuff together, come back tonight. We're going to do it. We're going to take the baby out. And I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah, 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 <laughs> whoa, right. whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm on board with that. And I don't, I think it's, I think it's just a, a hiccup really. So there was, you know, there was a bit more, um, as we got closer to the delivery, there was a lot more fear that it hadn't been there. It hadn't been part of the pregnancy at all. And that made, so it made my judgment really cloudy. Like, should I agree to this? Do I not want to do this at this yeah. time? At the time, it, as we got closer to the end, she said, we're going to have to schedule a C-section because it, uh, that's what's going to make me feel more safe for you, comfortable for you. Um, and honestly, with everything we had going on, I didn't have it in me to fight her. Like at that, by that point, I'd like, I got pregnant at 51. I am coming up on my 52nd birthday. I am as much as I want to have this baby in the water via natural birth. I am not going to feel bad about this if I have to th- to make this choice. And it, it was, but it was confusing. I mean, I have to tell you, it was really confusing. Um, and it And that was one of the, moments where um, I had she took me in and tried to in, induce labor. So we compromised and I said, okay, fine. You can, you can try an induction. Um, and it didn't work. Like it, like, quite frankly, my cervix didn't open. I went into false labor for about six hours. I, I brought my mala beads. I bought my, my mixed tape. I bought my medicine or my Swiss ball. <laughs> I showed up ready to, to labor this baby. Um, and, and, and she was happy and content and wasn't coming out. So, um, And then it was funny because we, we kind of ended up in a, in a conflict because they were like, well, if you come into the hospital, you're not going home without a baby. Right. And, I'm, and I'm going, but it's 36 weeks. And I just got to watch my blood pressure and monitor and my heart rate for the last 12 hours. And it's low and it's normal. And there's no reason to cut this baby out right now. So we had to go into, into some, you know, some negotiations over, over delaying delivery for until she was full term. You know, it, she said, I'll let you go home. And then what happened? Um, I'll let you go home. If you come in every day and sit on the monitor for an hour. Mm -hmm. And so I I did that for the next 10 days. (laughs) I sat there and cooked that baby. I, I kept her in my system and, you know, I kept her in and we loved it. I loved it. She moved around and, And she went 39 in five days. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, It was a weird experience. Like I didn't like feeling disconnected from my body. I didn't like Mm. the experience of it. Um, And recovery was harder. When they cut all your, those abdominal muscles, that's a hard recovery. Yeah, it was, it was definitely challenging coming out of that. Um, You know, I had, but at the same time I had her in my arms within an hour and she wasn't, she went right to my, my net, my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the hospital really tries to um, they tried to create as natural an environment for a C-section as possible. And so right. um, she kept the cord attached and she had it placed around my chest with the cord still and cord still attached. They waited till the cord was stopped pulsing before we cut the cord. Um, she went right to my breast and, and nursed immediately um and, and we got to sit we were able to bring livy or my oldest daughter in um, my husband was in the deliver with me you know and so it was, a, it was a, as good of an experience as you can expect i, I suppose um, and at the end of the day we had a healthy baby girl and that was that was really the goal you know that was really yeah. the end result we were we were looking for
0: Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevanex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with HEDAZ. HEDAZ designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. HEDA's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of HEDA's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night. Your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise you end up tossing, turning, punching and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash play and take the two-minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code HIP PLAY, all caps one word, for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. So almost a year later, at this point, like talked about like what the journey's been like. Like what, like, how is it, how has it been being a mom at 52, 53, a young family? Uh, what, what do you think that like looking ahead to the, the rest of your life, you know, like, what is what does that look like? Because you like sort of engineered your life in a different
1: way than quote unquote would be typical. Breastfeeding was more of a challenge. She didn't have as much of a latch. Um, I left the hospital. She had kind of ruined the tips of my nipples. And so we had to go into formula feeding very quickly. Um, Or, you know, we had to, we had to, I had to take a break from breastfeeding in order to heal. And so we had to stop, we had to replace it with formula or I had to pump. The, The long and short of it is my breastfeeding journey hasn't been the same. You know, we supplemented with formula from the beginning and, and we, it worked fine. You know, I breastfed during the day and at nighttime I would, use formula she'd slept better as as older parents we needed the sleep and so we kind of fa- found out by accident that it wasn't such a horrible thing to feed your baby formula um, i don't really listen to too many of the boards on breast is best and sh- you know the mommy shaming stuff like that like this worked for us i've had you know great postnatal care um seeing and seeing Ila- develop and hit her milestones and you know it's just been so much fun and it's just been so much joy you know I think the reason we struck down this path to begin with was from from my perspective my household was too old like I just felt like growing up in a family of three there's always something going on there's always we're always off to a game we're always everywhere and my household was two adults and this child and so that my Young, my my oldest was just aging up to us. Often, you know what I mean, and right. and talking about trying to talk politics with us, or trying to talk about you know the science and science exhibit we just went to, or which is great. But now we're you know babbling again, and we're laughing, and we're watching you know all the the m- minuscule details of of her daily milestones and. What, does she like this? Does she like blueberries? I love blueberries. And and the, the interplay between um, my daughters is just, it's exciting to watch. And it's, I'm so, I'm so glad we t- took the risk to do it or the chance to do it. And it has
0: to cross your mind that, you know, you're going to be 70 when she's a certain age or, you know, right. Like it ha- that has to cross your <laughs> mind. Like, what does that, what does that look like for you? Like, what do you, when you think about that, I mean, is it just like, Okay, I better stay as active as healthy as possible. You know, like what's what's the thought process?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I feel like I feel like I I one I need to get back into shape. Like I think right now I'm I'm probably at the the heaviest I've ever been because of my priority this this past year has been recovering from giving birth at my age and focusing on um, honestly on the transition for my eldest and my home and just making sure that we're got all our bases covered. And my husband's also had a a major, you know, opening a museum opening in this year. So it's been a busy year, Um, but yeah, being as healthy as possible. Like I'm kind of looking at it like a marathon now and instead of a sprint, like um, how do I get, and and these are the questions I'm asking myself right now, how do I get um, on a, in a diet that is going to allow me to, to even out my weight, so I'm not, you know, I'm just not roller coastering all the time. Or how am I gonna? Um, what do I, what's the best? What's the best diet for me to have the kind of energy I need to keep up with these kids? <laughs> <laughs> are you in menopause now? Um, I think I am because my periods are not regular. Like I didn't have a period for two years. Like you know what I mean? Like they put me on right birth control and then I got pregnant. And so so. I was shocked when it came back. I was like, gotcha. had, <laughs> what, but it did come back. What, right? What happened? That wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. I was just going to cruise right into it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so you're in the transition, really, but you don't, I think I'm in the transition. Yeah. You know, I definitely, I definitely feel like I've lost muscle tone. And, and so I know I have to work harder. Like I kind of went into this knowing I was going to be hard. Like I knew that, you know, I didn't gain a lot of weight, but I gained it after the fact because I, I just had this need for high carbs. Like I really was into desserts and I was really into, and Coke, my, my post-workout Coca-Cola is still my favorite go-to. And, um, but I think we all know that woman at 65, like I, I expect to start my career up again and I step, expect to do uh, meaningful work. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really know if I have a retirement plan in place. Like I, I, I feel like right now we're doing things like what people do in retirement. Like we're enjoying travel and we're taking our children along with us. And I hope to continue to do that. Like I hope to keep learning. I hope to um, advance my career. I hope to, you know, raise these girls in a world that's just, there's so much more opportunity for them and and help navigate that with some, some level of confidence and strength and, um, you know, that I, that I hope they have, I want them to have. We had talked before
0: we hit record that I wonder if there will be a future where freezing your eggs is standard fare. As women like get advanced degrees and get, you know, like pursue all these things and life gets longer, you know, will there be a point at which that just becomes something that more women just do out of the gate?
1: Well, I, th- I think that you have, you have more women doing it. Like, I think mm-hmm. that, that it's happening now. I know that I can think of two friends um, and they know two friends, you know what I mean? That, that in their thirties, when they weren't meeting the man of their dreams, they had their eggs frozen. Um, and when it, when they did meet someone or they realized that they needed to take a more proactive approach to having a child um, they had, you know, they had that to call, fall back on, or they had that um, they had their own genetic material to, to, to pursue a pregnancy with. And, um, you know, I think that, I think that is going to be the here in Dubai, that is part of the fertility industry's marketing plan. Like so many women are postponing their families until their careers, until their advanced degrees are finished until their careers are, have a foothold in their industry or whatnot. And, um, it gives them a great deal of control and choice about when, and I think that's when my girlfriend, Um, you know, she had advanced degrees and she was working in the pharmaceutical industry and she planned out when it would be, you know, appropriate for her to, to, to pursue her pregnancies. I think that she had some miscarriages along the way. You know, I think that there were some, you know, there's no guarantees. Like the thing is I, I I'm very lucky. What I know about myself is that I have an athlete's constitution. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew going into it and this is the way I knew I learned about myself as an athlete that stimulus, whether that's you know um, estrogen or del estrogen, um, uh, the stimulus is going to take uh, is going to re- to react in my body positively, um, and so I was I'm very lucky. I've been very lucky. I've had two pregnancies, um, and I I didn't have any miscarriages that I know of. Um, I had some periods that were missed, you know, missed periods, earlier, yeah, yeah. but I don't think I had that. Um, but I do think, I do think that that's all part of the fertility planning and um, life planning for women moving forward, especially, you know, I think, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that that's going to be something that we're going to see. And I think that a lot of women are, are declining parenthood as well. You know, I think that that's also part of a choice and an option that um, young women are talking about, at least even delaying it not, and not feeling pressured to go straight into having a child in their twenties. I mean, I wasn't ready for it. I know that much. I was, I was too, you know, as a, I was too excited about the world ahead of me. Like I, I felt like the media pumped in all this, all of this stuff that you could do in the world. It, and, and it was just, to me, I just felt like there's way too many things to pursue to start a family at this age. And I didn't, ha- I didn't have a partner. I- <laughs> that's, a little, that's, a little, that's a little detail. I didn't have a, a partner at the time either, but you know, for me, um, you know, I, I really felt like I wanted to pursue my career and I felt like I, I needed to, I w- I needed to support myself and I needed to live on my own. Yeah, no, it's a great place to
0: wrap it up. It's sort of that you can have it all just not at the same time. You know, like that's, <laughs> I think that's what our generation, you know, like learned as this first generation to have all these options laid out to
1: us, you know, and, and the, the pros for me is that all my friends have this amazing wealth of knowledge and experience that they're sharing with me now. I mean, I can't even tell you how fortunate I am to have so many beautiful moms tell me about, you know, their experience with, teething or their experience with you know their teen years and all that kind of stuff i mean there's there's it's endless the amount of challenges that mothers face and problems that they've solved you know um so i think that no i think i think it's happening now i think you see it more and more i mean i you know i belong to a couple of facebook groups that are moms of older moms of younger children and <laughs> you know I'll, I'll have to introduce Prevenex to them as well <laughs> What a great place to end.
0: (laughs) Well, that's our show. Come back next week for a mind-blowing episode with clinical neuroscientist, Dr. Luisa Nicola of NeuroAthletics, where we talk all about brain health. Seriously, I feel like my brain grew three sizes just listening to her speak. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at feisty menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tafosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And. They just look freaking rad. So head on over to tafosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.